So welcome to the first My Money, My Lifestyle podcast for 2021. For many people, COVID has had a major financial impact and some of you may be considering entering debt, entering debt review this year. So I've invited today David O'Brien from debt counseling firm Meerkat to explain how debt counseling works and also to give some advice about how to choose a good debt counselor because to be honest, there are a lot of bad apples out there. Um, and then what to do if you're in debt review and you're not happy with your counselor. So welcome, David. Um, and thank you so much for your time today to um, yeah, just to chat to us and to give us a little bit of insight. Thank you very much. Very nice to be here. So David, let's just set the scene um, up front, because some people are going to, you know, I'm, I think quite a lot of my listeners are going to know what uh, debt counseling is, but let's just unpack it a little bit. You know, what is debt counseling, who is it aimed at, and who is it not aimed at, who is it not meant for? Okay, sure, thank you. Um, so debt counseling uh, was a process uh, invented or, or I suppose started in the National Credit Act. Um, I'm pretty certain it's kind of globally unique in that it's a regulated process to help people who are over indebted. Uh, and I think that's the first important point to make. To benefit from the process, you have to be over indebted. Um, broadly speaking, that means that your income less a decent living budget is not sufficient to cover your debt payments at that time. Um, so as a debt counselor, as a regulated debt counselor, we are allowed to do that assessment. Um, we can then recommend to the court that you are indeed over indebted. Uh, and then we have a mandate and with some help from the, the wider credit industry, uh, we have a process where we can then reduce your monthly debt repayment uh, reschedule that debt, usually over a longer term, um, and ideally at a lower interest rate, so that you can A, get out of debt less painfully, uh, and B, ideally at a lower cost. Hmm. I mean, that's quite an important one as well, um, the lower interest rates, and I want to get back to that a little bit later. But one of the things that I find, um, and I think you said it was made, it, it, it was created for people who are unable to meet their debt repayments. But I find it often being sold as um, a way just to make life a little bit easier. Uh, you know, you know, oh, I, I want a bit of a breather, um, you know, to consolidate my debt. So maybe explain the difference between debt review and debt consolidation, because those are actually two very, very different terms. Okay, so if we start with, let's call it the qualification criteria. So I often use the example of the, the customer who rang me up and said he really would like to commence debt review because he's struggling this month to make his Porsche repayment, uh, as in the car repayment on his Porsche. Um, now, my message to that person was that he's not actually over-indebted. He, he, might, he might be living a lifestyle he can't afford, but he's not over-indebted because he can sell his Porsche and buy a cheaper car, such as a Toyota, he will still have a car, but now he won't have a problem with debt. So the, uh, the point I made earlier about it has to be a decent living budget. It cannot be a luxurious budget. So the court is not going to help you shelter your, from your creditors if you're driving a Porsche uh, and have a holiday home or two around the country. So it's going to be a decent, normal living budget. So, so first off, uh, people have to qualify. They have to genuinely be over-indebted. Um, it's also not a temporary solution. So, you know, we saw through the pandemic and the lockdown that people had maybe a one month discontinuity in their income. Uh, debt counseling is a long process. It's a, it's a minimum of five years. Well, no, that's not true. It's a maximum of five years, ideally. Um, it can be shorter, but you have to settle all of the debts in the process that you commenced the process with. Um, and I think one of the biggest 
let's call it complaints about the industry is people don't appreciate that they have to stay the full journey. Um, for those consumers that do stay the full journey, they generally get a good outcome. Um, but the vast majority of people don't seem to have the discipline or believe it's a temporary fix. And, you know, three months later, things are better. I'm going to stop debt counseling now because I've had my temporary holiday. Uh, unfortunately, because because it's sorry, because the court regulated process, it's not a one month thing. It's a it's a it's a full debt package thing. I actually want to I'm going to want to come back to that specifically, David, because I think that is the question I get the most. Um, I went into debt review. Um, um, my finances have improved. I want to exit. How do I do that? And and I think we really want I want really want to address that a little bit later on in the podcast because I think people get into this without realizing that they can't get out of it very easily. But um, before we, we move on, I just one of the things that I also want to do is clarify the fees. So it is a, it is a court ordered. Um, it is ordered by the court. It protects you from your creditors, but there is a fee attached, and you're paying the debt counselor a fee. So, how do the fees work with debt counselling? So the fees are there. They it's it's quite a highly regulated industry. So the regulator recommends fees to the industry, and broadly, all the players in the industry abide by those fees. So that's that's a positive. Uh, there is an initial fee um, to allow the debt counselor to do the work of the rescheduling of the payment plans for the first month. Um, then there is a fee to cover the legal process uh, because we have to go to court and get the debt review plan made in order of court. So there's a fee in the second month for that. Uh, and then for the duration of the plan, there is a small fee uh, to cover the ongoing costs of dealing with creditors, etc., closing off uh, accounts when they are settled, rescheduling the payments each month until the final end of the plan. So those are kind of the three nature of the fees. Um, they are all linked to the, the size of the monthly repayment under the plan. Uh, with some fixed caps which change from time to time. Um, from when, when we explain this to customers, from the customer's perspective, if, if the month before they enter debt review, if they are paying, let's say, 10,000 rands a month on their debts, under the debt review process, that, that can decrease, but it should decrease to somewhere around, let's call it anywhere between five and 7,000. Um, that, from the customer's perspective, the month before they're paying 10,000, the month after they're paying 7,000 and they will pay 7,000 for the duration of the plan. Um, that is how the customer experiences it. Our fees come from within that payment schedule um, and they are fundamentally allowed for by a holiday from the banks. So once we advise the banks that we're doing a debt review assessment, the banks then allow us to take that new monthly payment, which means the customer doesn't have to write a check on top. Uh, and I think that's very important from an affordability perspective. Mm -hmm. And then, and then we must maybe just explain how that how the payment distribution works. So it's not the debt counselor that gets the money. Am I correct? It, it actually goes to one of the payment distribution agencies. So how does a payment distribution agency work within this model? Absolutely. And you made a comment earlier about a, a number of bad apples in the industry. If a consumer is asked to pay a debt counselor directly, or if anyone telephones them to say, no, we've got a new plan, please pay directly into this bank account, that is a massive red flag. They must not go near that. Um, the entire industry operates through what are called payment distribution agents. Um, off the top of my head, I think there are five accredited agents, but you can always check this out by going to the NCR website. Um, the largest one in the industry, well, there's, there's three major ones and, and then two relatively newer ones, which I presume are smaller. Um, no debt counselor handles your money. From day one, your payment is collected by the PDA and distributed by the PDA. So as I mentioned earlier, in the first month, the debt counselor gets his fees. We don't take that directly. The customer pays the PDA, and then the PDA pays us our fee. 
Um, as the plan progresses, the PDA manages then the, the payments between different credit providers on the plan. Uh, and it can get quite complex because from month to month, because the customer is only paying a fixed amount, let's say 7,000, from month to month, which credit provider gets a slice of that 7,000 can differ. So it's quite a complex set of calculations. So again, the, the, the payment distribution agency deals with all of that. Um, there is capacity in the act for the individual to pay their creditors directly once they're in debt review and some customers want this opportunity. Um, personally, I think people don't fully understand their, their bank fees. Um, by the time they look at the bank fees required to pay EFTs to multiple credit providers and to change the payments from month to month, I think it's quite a complex process. Uh, mm. So from our perspective, I think the PDAs offer offer reasonable value for money. So it is about just making sure every because I, I'm you, I think what's important also for listeners to understand is that when you enter debt review and it's a court action, all the creditors have to agree that they feel it's fair because they don't want one creditor getting paid ahead of another, and and I suppose that's what the PDA does as well. They kind of make sure that the creditors are are paid equally because there's often a um, an interest rate deduction, um, and and I would like to actually comment on that now because and and maybe this is this talks a little bit about a good debt counselor versus maybe not such a good debt counselor, and that is around how they negotiate on your behalf. Um, you know, I've certainly seen David two very different approaches and maybe you want to comment on this would you get some uh, an approach what i would call by the good debt counselors and there are many of those who would who would try and set who will settle within the five years by going to your creditors and tr negotiating a lower interest rate saying listen this person's under debt review could you assist by dropping the interest rate from 20% down to even 5%. Um, and then there's the other debt review guys who say, oh, no, no, we're not going to negotiate on interest. We'll just extend the term of the loan, make the monthly repayments lower, but actually over the time, you're going to pay significantly more. So maybe talk to me a little bit about what you would consider good practice. So let's start off with another major red flag. Um, when your debt counselor provides you with a plan, you should look and see the payment going to each credit provider and confirm it is greater than the interest on the loan. Because the first red flag, if, if the monthly allocation to ABSA Bank is lower than ABSA Bank's interest, well, then your loan is only go, going to go one way, and that's up. Uh, and with the best will in the world, you are never going to be debt-free because you're basically not paying enough. So that, that's the first red flag to keep an eye out. Um, we need to go a little bit back in history. I did mention that we're a relatively young industry founded in the, with the National Credit Act. Um, at that point in time, the act wasn't kind of it didn't really cover a lot of the detail of operational processes as acts often don't. Um, and there was a little bit of a wild west in the early days where you know debt counselors were putting down what they felt was a, a proposal. The banks were all generally saying no, that they wanted their money. Um, and in fact, just, just one caution, the, the, the judge or the magistrate is empowered to then authorize the plan. So even if the parties cannot agree, the judge is entitled to, to say, no, he agrees with this plan, that is appropriate. And um, in practice, judges do like both sides to agree. Um, so they, they tend not to, to, to kind of make a, the wisdom of Solomon. They do tend to try and get the parties to agree before they make a plan. Um, so when your debt counselor sits down, um, and sorry, after the as a result of that kind of wild west period, the industry got together, uh, facilitated by the NCR, they created the Credit Industry Forum, where the banks are representative, debt counselors are representative, PDAs are represented, and they began to thrash out some rules of the game. So it's just like, you know, we all like watching a game of rugby, um, but if there weren't laws to the game, it would be absolute chaos. So it's really, that's what it was about, putting down some rules again. And the credit industry came forward and they said, look, we understand debt counseling. It is in our interest to, to have customers who are, who are credit, uh, credit worthy. 
Um, so we will put down some rules that provided your plan solves within a certain period of time, so provided the customer is debt-free, we'll say within five years, then we are prepared to reduce interest rates um, to help you get within that five years. So the, the industry looked at different loans differently. So broadly speaking in categories, you have home loans, car loans, and let's call it unsecured credit or personal loans, credit cards, etc. So home loans have to have a minimum uh, interest rate. So they've given us a proportion of the original interest rate and provided the plan provides that to the bank, they're prepared to accept a reduced repayment. Car loans, similarly, there's a limit to how far we can reduce the payment in terms of time, which then makes sure that the car is at least being paid off relative to its depreciation. Because the banks don't like the idea that there's a 200,000 rand loan on a car that's only worth 10,000. So, so those are very practical rules. And then after that, unsecured loans can effectively be dropped to 0% interest um, to get the plan to actually finalize within five years. Um, so it's if, if the industry debt counselor uses that process or uses that set of rules, um, then there is generally an interest rate reduction. And like I said, the plan should solve within a maximum of five years. Um, there are scenarios where the car loan might take a little bit longer. Um, and actually, now that we've mentioned bonds, it is quite important for people to understand you don't have to stay in debt review for as long as you have a bond. Um, that would be a bit of a, a long sentence, if you will. So generally, what the debt review industry aims to achieve is by the end of the five years, uh, all unsecured debt has been cleared, possibly the car loan has been cleared, and at that stage, the customer can be released from the debt review process with their bond obviously still in payment, uh, and their bond then just reverts to original terms. Um, so again, that's a practical point about releasing people. You don't have to have your bonds set. Um, yeah, so so hopefully that, that gives you some idea. Um, if the industry rules don't apply, so if the customer literally can cannot afford the repayment indicated, then there is an opportunity to negotiate, um, let's call it, we call it an adjusted set. So we, we look to adjust on certain loan accounts, again, with a view to, to, to getting to agreement. And um, David, I want to actually just go back to the car finance. It, you know, I, obviously, I get all the complaints. <laughs> so as much as I know many people have gone through debt review really well, and I, I often, um, you know, I do highlight some of the, the great stories out of debt review. I obviously get a lot of the complaints as well. And and the balloon payment on car finance seems to be quite a big problem. So um, it, it often seems that the, the debt council forgets to include that in the solving for credit, uh, solving for, for, for the debt. So, so the person comes to the end of the, the regular payments, but suddenly this balloon payment of 100,000 is sitting there, but they're still under debt review. So they can't refinance the 100,000. They're not allowed to do that. And they literally have to give the car back. You know, what if, you're, if your car is, go, is part of that, um, that deal, what, what do you do? So again, it's important if you know you have a balloon payment on your car, it's important to draw attention of the debt counselor to that so that they can include it in the plan. Uh, different, the car finance houses are aware of this challenge and different banks treat it differently. Um, some will roll the, the balloon payment into the loan amount so that the monthly debt review payment is therefore higher, but at the end of the process, the car is fully paid for. Um, if the customer can't afford that, they are amenable to uh, extending the term. So I did say a moment ago that they, they like the term within a certain horizon, but actually if there's a balloon payment, they will push that term out further again, to allow for an orderly settlement of the loan. Um, it is worth noting to my previous point that um, when you settle your car, you are allowed to be released from debt review. So that's often the longest loan we deal with. So once customers have paid off their car, they can get a clearance certificate. So it is possible to negotiate with the bank, you know, listen, I'm just finishing debt review now. I will have my clearance certificate in 
in a month, at which point I will be credit uh, worthy again. You know, possibly can we leave the balloon payment as is, and then in two months' time, I'll refinance the car and start again. So once you are, have a clearance certificate, you are able to deal with the balloon payment. Um, but generally, the industry will, will roll it in or, or make a plan. If the debt counselor has forgotten that, um, the sooner you warn your debt counselor, the better, um, to be honest. Um, but obviously, the okay, principle of the payments. Yeah. yeah. No, the, the, it's always good to keep your debt counselor in the loop of anything that's happening. Um, but obviously, the principle of debt payments, your or balloon payments, your car should be worth more than the balloon payment uh, at the end of the journey. So, so you know, you, you, there is you provided you're credit worthy, you have the ability to make a plan. But it is important to try and, and you know, you hope to get the clearance certificate, you know, in time so that you can apply for that refinancing of balloon payment if it was not included in 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 the debt review. The banks generally prefer to include it in the plan. So, so you know, I'm saying yeah. that in the extreme, you can come out with the balloon, but they do prefer to see it inside the plan. Okay. Very important that those, and I think again, that is about having the right debt counselor, having the right conversations. Um, and David, because I, I, you know, and this is really the most common question I get, and I know uh, David actually helps me a lot with my readers' questions, so so he knows the questions I get. But it is, um, I I, I want to exit debt review. So I thought maybe we could just break it down simply for people as to at what point you can exit debt review and at what point is it too late. Um, so one of the most common ones I'm getting is that they get a call from a debt counselor. And again, I would call these more the bad apples who phone you and they say, guess what? We can offer you debt consolidation and make your life easier and you can sign up for debt review, et cetera, et cetera. And the person sort of says on the phone, oh, no, no, I, that sounds like a great idea. Yeah, I'm interested in all of that. Um, and they're kind of committed to it verbally, but they haven't signed any documents. Then now they get cold feet. What are their rights? So the the official steps to debt review are you form, initially you, you sign what's called a Form 16, which is the application to be reviewed for debt review. Um, when on receipt of a Form 16, the debt counselor starts the process. They then perform their assessment. They're then in a position to make a recommendation to the court. That is the sequence. If you have not signed a Form 16, then you, you should not be under debt review, okay? So if the customer on the strength of a phone call have been placed under debt review, they must complain to the National Credit Regulator um, because they are not allowed to be under debt review. Now, I will caution a number of uh, debt counseling companies who are more technologically advanced, use, the, use electronic signatures. Um, so the customer needs to understand that if they performed an electronic signature, that they have actually signed the Form 16. But that is the... That is kind of the, the crucial, critical step in the process. Um, if you have not signed a Form 16, then you should not be under debt review. Um, and again, the NCR is your avenue for complaint there. Um, if you are validly in the debt counseling process, so you, you've signed the Form 16, you know you signed the Form 16, and three or four months into the journey, you've decided it's not for you for whatever reason. Um, unfortunately, and, and this then is a, a major misconception, the debt counselor is not able to release you. Uh, you know, to be frank, we often get many complaints ourselves and we would love to be able to help. But fundamentally, the way the credit industry works is once you have taken the benefits of debt review, your credit record is marked. Uh, and in South Africa, all of the credit industry participants register their data with all of the registered credit bureaus, who in turn are then all used by all the participants. And a flag is put on your credit bureau record. And once your credit bureau record has the debt counseling flag, it is illegal for any credit industry player to lend you money. So that flag is on your record, and that flag is on a system managed by the NCR, the regulator. 
And unfortunately, while we have the ability to inform them that you're applying for debt review and to inform them that you're now in debt review, we do not have the ability to remove the flag. Um, so once you are flagged, you cannot effectively get credit anywhere until the flag is lifted. Now, how do you get the flag lifted? The, the only way to exit debt review is to then settle the package of debts, um, to settle the package of debts that you have uh, on your accounts and, and the, on the Form 16. Um, and once those debts are settled, then you get settlement letters and you can get a clearance certificate and the flag is lifted. Um, if you don't settle those debts, then the flag cannot be lifted by any participant. And, and the NCR refuses to lift it. And there have been recent court cases where judges are not prepared. In the early days, again, there was a little bit of a, a vacuum as to what to do. Um, but the judge, there has been a decision where judges are not prepared uh, to reverse the debt review process um, if it has been validly entered into. And um, what advice would you give somebody who's in debt review but now can actually afford the original debt repayments? Um, and they want, you know, what advice do you give people? Do, should they just rather increase the amount that they're paying? you know, to the, so, to, to, in the system. Yeah, so, so the first off is, you know, if, you're, if your circumstances have improved and you can now pay more into your debt plan, like anybody who has excess debt, the quicker you settle that debt, the better. So absolutely, they don't need to exit the process because the process allows them to pay faster, pay quicker and settle debts. Uh, and in fact, you know, often people come to me with exactly the same question and I advise them to look at it as if they would if they weren't under debt counseling. So first off, if you have interests that are, uh, sorry, if you have accounts mm -hmm. that have a high interest rate, try and settle those first. So don't just pay in across, remember, as you said earlier, we allocate proportionally to all loans. Um, if one of the loans has a higher interest rate, rather pay directly into that loan to reduce that balance, which in turn then will speed up the exit. So I talk about people bringing in the months uh, of the end of the plan. And with every extra round you put in, you reduce the term of the plan. Um, now, if you have, if your debt counselor has negotiated very low interest rates, so I have some clients who are literally paying 0% on their loans, and then they come to me and they say, can I pay an extra? Now, my advice then is say, well, you, you have 0% here. If you take your money and you put it in the bank, you, the bank will probably pay you 5% to have your money on deposit. So my advice to those clients is, you know, rather just pay the minimum because you've got such a good deal here, and, and meanwhile, build up an emergency account, because chances are you're in debt because of an emergency, so rather now build a buffer so that in future you won't need, need the debts. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so absolutely the industry allows you to pay an extra. Um, and you know, from my personal perspective, I have no interest in, in maintaining a customer inside debt review. Um, if they can pay out quicker, the better. And then the other little tip I'll give, we talked earlier about keeping in touch with your debt counselor. If you have a lump sum, so sometimes some people get a windfall or they have a lump sum, rather contact your debt counselor because often the credit providers who are in the debt counseling plan might offer a settlement discount. And in fact, this is true for loans outside the plan. So what we will then do on behalf of our customers is we go to the credit provider and say, listen, we have an opportunity to settle this debt in full. Will you give us a discount? Um, that again allows the customer to get a higher benefit for their rounds and get out of the plan quickly again. And we're very happy to do that service once customers come and advise us. And we've done it for quite a few. Well, that's actually such a great tip. I didn't know about that one. So, because we get people who have that, they say, "Well, I've got this. You know, I just want to settle it off. I can." Um, so, yeah. the best thing to do is speak to the counselor and and ask them to negotiate with the creditor. Um, so, David, I, I put out a few uh, onto onto social media. I said, "What questions do you want answered in this podcast?" I'm going to throw a few at you now. Uh, these yeah. are blind. I don't think you've seen them. So, good <laughs> luck. Um, 
you know, one of the questions, and I think this is very important, does going into debt counseling negatively affect your credit record? No, and, and that is actually the beauty of the process. And, and that is the difference between a customer who's proactively trying to address over indebtedness versus one who sticks their head in the sound like an ostrich to ignore it and hope it goes away. Um, when you go under debt counseling, the process is designed to rehabilitate you. When you come out of debt counseling, we lift that flag that I mentioned a moment ago, and your credit hit record has no memory of the debt counseling process. So you look like any other credit worthy customer. And because you have settled your debts over the period of the debt counseling plan, you actually should have a pretty good credit score. Um, so absolutely, there is, there is no permanent impact on your credit record. If anything, it improves your credit record. Yeah. So I was going to say, it actually shows a regular payment, which, which yeah, improves exactly. it, yeah. Now, we do work, we do make sure when the process is finished and we issue claim certificates that the credit bureaus have tracked the process correctly. Um, so that is a part of our ongoing journey and part of our service. The alternative is if you ignore the debts and you remain over indebted and you don't make the payments and one of your creditors gets a judgment against you, that judgment will sit on your record for 30 years. Um, and generally lenders, if they see a judgment on a credit re report, they are very reluctant to lend money. So, so the point I'm making is debt counseling has no memory, but a judgment on your record has a very long impact. Okay. So in fact, it, it, your debt counseling is better on your credit record than, than ignoring your debts. Um, another great question is um, how debt counseling is affected by your type of marriage. Um, so if one partner is over indebted, how does it affect the other? Um, I, I mean, this is very key, especially if you're married in, in community or property. So, so that's exactly the point. It, it depends on the basis of your marriage. Uh, and in fact, a lot of people don't fully understand that it, it's irrelevant to debt counseling. It's actually more to do with the nature of the loan. So, so when you are married in community of property, that means that husband and wife are actually a unit. So when a husband applies for a loan, technically he is applying on behalf of the unit and, and likewise for the wife. Now, Often when they do those loan applications, the banks have a clause on the form that says, you know, if you're in community of property, your wife is aware of the process, your partner is aware of the process. Um, debt counseling is the same. So when a, a couple who arrive at the door who are married in community of property, we see the debts legally like the industry does. It's the debts are belong to the unit. So the debt counseling plan is then a joint plan to settle the debts. And it doesn't actually matter. So if you're married in community of property and you say, my husband is over indebted and I'm not, that's actually not true the unit is what is over indebted. Um, so again, the legal process allows for the unit. If you are married out of community of property or often with an anti-nuptial contract, even with accrual, um, then we can treat you as separate legal entities because then the debts are truly indeed belong to the husband and the wife separately. Um, but again, even people married out of community, sometimes both parties go under debt review and um, separately, uh, legally separately. Um, but if they're in community of property, we can put them in legally jointly. Um, one of the cases mm -hmm. I've had recently is a case of divorce. So a customer has come to me, they entered debt counseling and have subsequently been divorced. And now the customer wants to buy a house. And he's saying, you know, what's my status? And actually, it's, it's probably not often remembered by most divorce lawyers. But when they get to divorce uh, in the high court, the judge actually defines what happens to your debts. And they generally have a standard clause in the divorce order. I think it's very important for people to flag with their divorce lawyer that they're in debt counseling and then agree to some kind of split and then inform the debt counselor um, because the high court supersedes the, the, the magistrate's court in terms of the debt counseling uh, order. So it's just uh, something to keep an eye on when they do if they get to unfortunate divorce.
Okay, very important. Um, and I had um, another question around reckless lending. I mean, you know, one of the roles, obviously, of the debt counsellor is to see if reckless lending is actually applied. I mean, do you think that debt counsellors are actually doing that, saying, you know, and applying to to the courts um, or to the or even to the regulator to say we think this is a case of reckless lending? Uh, okay, reckless lending. Reckless lending is a particular set of circumstances. So I was talking a moment ago about the NCR flag to say you're in debt counselling. If a registered credit provider makes a loan to you when you are in the debt counselling, that is reckless lending. It's it's automatic. So um, you know that that's a very good example of a, a process. Um, another example of reckless lending is where you cannot afford the loan. So if the bank uh, hasn't done a budget check on your income or hasn't verified your income, then your loan can be reckless. Now the reality is many of our banks in South Africa follow the precepts of the Act and the regulations to the letter. So they are very reluctant to do reckless lending because it's expensive for them. If a loan is discovered to be reckless, then the bank has to write off the money. Um, so generally, they don't they don't like doing that. So they try and get the the process correct. Um, what often happens when I see a customer where the case could be reckless, um, it's often that the customer has been a bit naughty, maybe during their application process, and maybe they didn't declare all of their household expenses. Or maybe they inflated their income slightly because they get commission in one month, but they didn't call it commission. They said it was part of their basic salary. So to the letter, the customer says, you know, hang on, I can't afford this loan. And I look and I go, well, indeed, you can't afford the loan. But then when I look at the detail, I say, well, the reason you can't afford the loan is because you should never have got this loan because you were not fully honest in the application. And I think that's very important for people. You know, we're all tempted to try and get that loan, but the regulations are important. Um, you should put down an honest budget. You should be honest about your income. And to be frank, if the bank won't give you a loan, there's probably a good reason for it. Um, so, so yeah. So, so coming back to the industry practices, uh, a lot of debt counselors charge clients for reckless lending investigations. Personally, we at Meerkat, Meerkat do not do that um, because in our experience, the banks have generally followed the process. So we don't bother charging the customer for the investigation um, because generally when it comes to the outcome, we cannot prove reckless lending because often it is down to the customer and what they wrote on the form. Um, so uh, where we where we truly believe there is reckless lending, naturally we will fight for that customer with that particular institution. But in my experience, the banks are pretty professional um, and have very strong defenses, usually procedural, uh, against reckless lending. I mean, it's an interesting point you raise because I, I, I have come across that practice where where um, a debt counsellor charges reckless lending fees as a matter of course, um, but without any certain, you know, like you said, very unlikely that there is reckless lending. It's just a way for the debt counsellor to make additional money. So I think that that's quite an important, another important point to make when you're looking for a debt counsellor. Um, ask them if they, you know, check those fees. Um, and, and one final question before before we end, um, and, and this is obviously relates to so many people now with COVID uh, and, and loss of jobs. So he's under debt review, but he's lost his job, which means he cannot continue with the court ordered payments. How, how do you handle that as a debt counsellor? Yeah, look, it's 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 pretty tough, uh, and unfortunately, the credit industry is relatively unforgiving. Uh, if you do not have the means to repay your loan, well, then effectively you're in breach of your debt review plan, and then the banks will start collections processes like they do. Um, for many of our customers, we offer an insurance policy where if you cannot make the payments or you have lost your job, uh, then we will support you for 12 months. Uh, if you pass away, we settle the loan, um, and many banks offer those policies. So I think it's important for this individual, he must check, and anyone who has unfortunately been retrenched, 
they must check whether they have insurance on those loans, and that at least will give them some uh, some sucker. And in fact, many many debt counselors offer uh, those insurance plans, and I think the consumers must step forward and demand that the the, the insurance policies pay their claims. Um, on the point on the point about reckless lending fees, you know, the debt counselor provides a service for a fee. All the fees are listed in the form sixteen. Uh, if the customer feels that they don't need a reckless lending review, they must refuse it and refuse to pay the fee. Um, yeah, but uh, look, when it comes to choosing debt counselors, uh, and I think this is obviously the, the most important point, you, you need to make sure you've got a professional debt counselor. It's like any other service provider. Um, you know, this day and age, you can go onto social media, you can ask the question, you can look for personal recommendations. Um, there are websites like Hello Peter, Google Reviews. Um, before you jump into a debt counselor, you must do your research. Uh, to make sure you know that people are happy with the services, um, ask them for references, uh, ask them to provide you, you know, to to tell you about the process that they're going to do for you. Do they get you a reduced interest rate? Um, what is, so I often look at for my clients. I look at the average interest rate reduction I have achieved. Uh, you should ask your debt counselor what is the average interest rate reduction he has received. How long, on average, do his plans or her plans take to solve? You know, are the customers in debt review for 15 years or for four years? Um, so those are questions you can ask before you sign that form 16. That's what's brutally important. Um, but absolutely Excellent. getting reference checks, social media, etc. Um, well, David, I want to say thank you so much for taking the time uh, to explain this to us and uh, hopefully just give, improve people's understanding of debt review. Um, and also just to, 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 to let listeners know that if you do want to get a lot of frequently asked questions answered, there's also things like the National Debt um, Counseling Association, which is ndca.org.za, and they've got a great uh, frequently asked questions. Um, and often I think also DCASA, dcasa.co.za, um, sometimes those are also good platforms just to get some, some information. Those are some of the associations uh, that guide it. Um, and then we do have the National Credit Regulator. I have to be perfectly honest and blunt with you they are not brilliant um, at dealing with complaints but they are effectively the ombud that oversees the sees the debt counseling industry um, and and David just for me one thing I'd like to end off saying to listeners is if you are in debt review no there is no other way to get out except to settle your loan so please don't ask me that question anymore <laughs> David, and, and, um, and, and uh, I do know, I know, you know, I asked David, David, you know, we, we've tried, it, there's not much, it's, it's, it's the law, there's nothing your debt counselor can do about it. Unfortunately, many people get preyed upon by ads promising them exit from debt review, but then they just burn fees and, and they're back where they started. Um, I think it is important to note that you are allowed to change debt counselling. So if you're unhappy with the one you have, there is a process that's pretty well, well run where you can move to a new debt counselor. Um, depending on the work involved, obviously the new debt counselor may require some fees for that transfer, um, but often we can transfer and pick up a plan uh, and, and take it from there. Um, yeah. So, yes, I it is, I, you know, we, I've come across so many people who've been abandoned by their debt counselors. They were fly by nights, um, and I obviously recommend that they that they transfer to a, to a good a good um, debt counselor who can take over that relationship and and help solve the, you know, help them get to the end of that debt review process. So thank you. Pleasure. You've been listening to the My Money, My Lifestyle podcast, featuring the contributors of the City Press personal finance pages.